0: Hello and welcome to Grow up, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkerers opportunities to grow. I'm your host Michelle Lee, and today on the show we're catching up with Barry Quinn, founder and chief creative at Quake, on how strategy can get the most out of their design partners. Just before we dive in, we'd like to give a special shout out to the team at Mint for sponsoring this week's episodes one of Canada's leading strategy departments and supporters of strategic planning, they've shown a keen interest in continuing to help us foster and strengthen Canada's strategic talent. And for that, we thank you. Now let's dive into the show. Barry, welcome to the show. We're uh, super excited to have you here. I know you're you're a big fan, so uh, uh, great to have you. And uh, great if you could just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, introduce yourself to our listeners, um, and tell us why this topic is important to you before we launch into your five tips.
1: Great. Right. Um, thanks for the invite. Yeah, no, I do. I listen uh, every Tuesday. So um, why is this topic important? I would say, so my background is um, when I came out, I went to school for design and then I came out obviously of school and I started working in design firms. And I did that for uh, the early part of my career, almost exclusively at sort of originally boutique design firms and then um, b- design firms which had much more of a branding, which has you know been most of my career life around it. And then I made the decision to go work inside advertising agencies. So the very first one I went to was G. Jeffrey and Partners, and then I went from there uh, to being um, one of the early kind of second wave partners at uh, at Grip, and then from there I founded uh, with uh, three other partners uh, Juniper Park, and then I was at DDB as the the first um, chief design officer for North America, and then I did Quake. So I haven't had that many jobs. Um, But a lot of them have been a designer within the advertising world, which is a lot of it's a lot like being that first fish to come out of the water and then find out there's already mammals there. Like you you're kind of similar to your creative partners, but you're also sort of carrying water uphill. Um, And I always found that understanding strategy and having a close relationship with strategy was a really good way of designer um, making themselves very useful within those situations. Um, So that's that's probably why I I do this. Also, I always kind of gravitated to the strategic portion of conversations with almost equal um, passion, not with equal precision. So um, as the creator side, but I was very interested in understanding the why of something and, and, and knowing why we were doing something.
0: Yeah. I'm curious as to why you made that leap from like boutique design agencies into advertising. What was it that drew you there and what were some of the major differences that you saw?
1: Um, You know, sometimes it's, um, it's where the opportunities were. Uh, I started going from kind of boutique kind of design and, uh, and I really enjoyed it and it was great for learning skill and learning your craft and, uh, and, you know, I started at a place called uh, Bandari Plater, um, and it was a fantastic boot camp. And I went from there, and then the next big sort of place journey was a place called Spencer Francis Peters, um, which is now Trajectory. Um, but the, the folks there, you know, that's really where I started to learn more of the strategy, you know, understanding that Helvetica was not going to save the world. You had to know the idea behind it. And I started to really get pulled into – the sort of larger scaffolding, the bigger sort of apparatus of what a brand was. Um, And I got to learn a lot there. Like it really cut my teeth there. And then, you know, of course, when you make that leap from design to the brand, and then you start thinking more about the brand. And then, um, you know, what became obvious was that this sort of line in the sand, and it was very, at that time, it was very much separate, separate cultures. I mean, I think probably at that time we had... Uh, Jane Hope and Paul Lavois were sort of breaking those walls down. Um, but, you know, it was the most design and advertising were very, very different cultures. And then, you know, branding was still kind of like a big new-ish new hot thing. On the- so uh, for me, I just got more and more interested in what are the systems that make brands work? Why do people know what brands are? What is the visual culture of brands? What do brands mean? And, you know, i curious. And so advertising seemed to be Another place I could go where I would learn, the, you know, the next part of that story.
0: Mm. And and how do you think? Um, I'm curious how you think design within the world of advertising has evolved uh, o- over time, or maybe not, in uh, terms of uh, understanding and appreciation for it.
1: You know, I think there's a huge difference. Um, I think early days it was. Very misunderstood, but also in a strange way, kind of more revered because it was almost the strange fruit that you hadn't tasted yet, but it looked pretty cool and you knew a little bit about it. Um, now, I think it's obviously not the revolution that it was then to have a, you know a branding or design component within advertising. Um, what I will say is, you see an awful lot of um, design firms, winning uh, advertising firms, you know, winning lots of design awards. So there's a there's a huge amount of proficiency and ability there. So clearly, you know, if the revolution was to embed adver- design within advertising, I would say that it worked. You know, like a- d- d- advertising is really getting it. I think part of it is just that the world of advertising is so much different now that. I think some of the tools that design gives you are more readily applicable. Um, whereas, you know, when I was first making the foray, uh, most of the industry was still television based. Um, so whereas now that's no longer the case. So that's probably the difference. I would still say that there's still a fairly large gulf uh, between some of the more specific um, brand identity design firms and, and many of the advertising firms, that also do design, but there's always those, those, you know, those disc- um, variables, right. Between agencies. So, but yeah, it's like a, if you're a young designer working in advertising, it's far better now that I think than it was then.
0: And, and so I'm curious, do you feel like, um, you maybe get a more holistic understanding of brands uh, and all the different kind of touch points and levers that you can pull within advertising versus if you're at like a brand identity or design firm, or I'm just kind of curious as to the difference in approach.
1: I think a good career would be a stint in both. Um, but advertising, I mean, advertising often talks about above the line and below the line. And we, they really talk about it as though like above the line, it's like above, it's a sort of elevated. And, and if you go to can, you feel like the whole world is about advertising. But the truth is most of, of brands' touch points are not advertising. Like, like most of the things that you interact with the brand fall outside of traditional advertising. So I think, you know, it, it really depends on what part of the problem you want to solve is, you know? So if you want to do the persuasion and all that side, the advertising side might be, uh, you know, better. And maybe you get a more rounded viewpoint of that. Um, you know, but then if you're a designer, you could work on the UX side, you could work on the brand experience side, you could work on the strategy side, you could work on the identity. Like there's just, there's just a, a a greater number of specialties there, I think for, so I think it really comes down to, you know, where your interests lie, where you think you're you know, better suited, um, what, what opportunities are. So I don't know that, cause I don't think it's like, there, there isn't, a. everyone doesn't have the full view. <laughs> like a good example is, you know, many design firms will work on prod- products long before there's a product. Well, yeah, that's harder to do in, in the advertising side of the space. It's not impossible, and some people do it. But you know, their part of the process is sort of usually happens after there's a product, and their job is usually to create a demand. Um, so you know, they're, they're, it's just a huge industry. There's so much opportunity. Everybody can you know basically choose, I guess, their their portion of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um appreciate that setup. How about we start into your your five tips? I mean, I think um uh, a number of strategists who are kind of listening to this uh, may have had the opportunity to work with uh, designers, but others may have not, so I'm curious to uh, get your perspective.
1: Yeah, um yeah and I think what's what's fun about being invited here is that strategy and design they're kindred spirits in many ways, you know, and I think even just the way we've set this up. Um, design is a discipline. It's interesting because we said design versus advertising. Whereas design is a discipline and a business, whereas advertising is a business. Because you, you know, you're a writer or you're an art director or you're any number of other technologists or whatever those other skills. So when you, we think of design, I think for strategists, it's just good to think of the fact that it's a really huge, broad industry. It's not very narrow. So. When you're working with a designer, it could be any number of designers. And then when you think of your designers, like it's everything from like a graphic designer to people who do brand or identity or, you know, digital or products or systems. But then it also goes all the way out to like furniture and architect and product. And if you go to a design school or come up in the design world, you're kind of connected to that huge fraternity. And we use like shared processes and shared ideology and shared language. So I think... And by the way, lots of great advertising folk are designers that 's what they, what they are. so when we think of that discipline, like who are you really working with and I think if we think of it at the broadest terms for strategists, it's just designers are usually kind of the folks that make the human interface of things, right They make the symbols, the systems that that are made for people by people um, so that 's how they 're kind of useful to a strategist. you know if you think of us um, Like if you think of design thinking, that methodology is very similar to a strategist methodology. It's not terribly different. Um, And then if you think of a designer, like we often think of design at the highly expressive quote unquote creative component of it. But really at the core, they're problem solvers, you know, and at the core, they're kind of empathetic, they're pragmatic. And if you sort of had this continuum, you know, you'd have one side would be humanity you know, very human. And maybe on the other side, you might say math, you know, so you'd have like artist on one side and maybe engineer on the other. And then designers like somewhere in the middle. So they're, so I I bring that up just because it gives you a good headspace of like who a designer might be and what they might be offering you, which could be different than I think the perception. And that might be too abstract, but I think you know, depending upon who you're talking to, they really could be along a really huge continuum. But I think this idea that they're sort of like they can speak, you know, soul and math, they can speak to um, the kind of humanity, but also the utility is sort of, I think, a, a very core part of what most designers would say separates them from you know, other creative disciplines
0: yeah i I like that juxtaposition um a lot and you you also talked about us kind of being kindred spirits i mean yeah. i um I assume obviously because of of uh the the strategic approach that designers take as well um maybe you talk a bit bit about, about that or or uh maybe you weave that into your your tips
1: yeah i mean I think it's it, you know the worst brief for a designer is no brief i mean the problem to solve is the problem to solve, right? So, so, and I, and I think it's the same thing for strategists. I mean, they love to come up with a, a solution to uh, to a proposition or a problem. Um, so I think that's probably where they really overlap. And many of the same tools are, are quite similar. You know, like you're Kind of I get information, you retrieve your information, you get a hypothesis, you push back on the hypothesis, you get more information, you hack away at it, you look for some resources, you get your assets, you kind of work away at that, you hack away at that, but, and you keep breaking it down and parts of what you're solving are the humanity part of the of the problem. you know how do you make humans understand this, how do you make pe- people kind of react to it and fall in love with something, but at the same time, you're also dealing with the math of the thing, right? How does this work? How does this go together? How do I make this thing fluid? How do I turn this thing into like something that can be portable or whatever? And I think that's kind of consistent. If you think of, you know, coming up with a good proposition as a strategist, you take all these huge amount of assets and all these variable import inputs, you'd be sticking that together, create a hypothesis, and you try to prove that hypothesis out. It sounds very boring when I say that. I just turned our careers into like, creative accounting, I think, but, but, but I think part of it is that.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I can relate very much to that kind of, you know, the, the synthesizing and and pulling together an hypothesis and kind of seeing where it goes. Um, so, I mean, it does sound like there's, there's a, a, a fair bit of uh, overlap. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear like, how can we get the best out of you guys and and vice versa?
1: So number two, I would say, uh, is this idea that design makes strategy more tangible. You know, the strategy can be quite academic or ethereal, or it can be sort of, you know, abstract. And when I worked at Spencer Fancy Peters, there were two individuals there who made a huge impression on me. So obviously the creative director was Paul Hodgson, huge impression, but also had a strategy, uh, Jeanette Hanna. and Paul and Jeanette worked as a team when they were putting, um, Briefs together and strategy. So, when they were putting briefs together and they were putting that strategy into something that people could work with, they really worked together. And that union made the strategy feel less abstract. And it really helped kind of punctuate some of the ideas and some of the thoughts that lived inside there. And I think, you know, when you have strategists and designers sort of working together um, early in the process, You can visualize abstract ideas and part of that makes those ideas easier to judge. Part of that makes those ideas easier to present, but sometimes just giving them that different structure, you know, you take something you have to put into a visual structure or a three-dimensional structure or a workflow structure or anything else. It actually, by giving form or structure to that idea, it can make you see the idea in a totally different way. And sometimes you see where there's a hole or where something's missing. So I think That's something to consider is that if you invite designers in early, they can help give form to your strategy Uh, instead of doing that later on in the work. You know, you can actually produce work early. So there's a workflow of like visualizing the strategy, which isn't the same as doing the work that the brief will eventually inform. It's a way of making sure that the strategy um, has more structure to it and it's more relatable to people kind of like that it's like the visual interface to the strategy component
0: yeah i mean i i really love that i mean i i think i told you before i i had this idea i don't know if anyone's ever done it but it, like it, we rely as strategists so much on words you know it, most briefs 99% of briefs are with words um it's it seems to me that maybe we could leverage some of the visual talents and strategic talents of designers to help express what the brief may be, even as a way to kind of work through it and figure out what the main problem or, or challenges, because design to me feels like an, another language, another filter or lens to look through and help analyze a problem.
1: Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. We, I mean, we love words too. Um, so, you know, having writers involved, we're talking to us today, but you know, a writer would be an equally fantastic, um, addition to you know to this portion but we do uh, a lot of audits uh, and we call them an audit it's a visual audit uh, it's not a mood board what you're looking for too is you're you're looking for answers in different kind of visual systems in different visual languages and different visual cultures and and you just you never know where it's going to come from but you know if you hear a piece of music, even if there's no words in it, you know that it's sad. You can tell that it's happy. You know if it's, if it's frenetic. You know if it's soothing. Um, but equally, you can audit the strategy um, by, by using other means as well. So if you have a word and you set a word a certain way, but you set it a different way or it's in a different color or there's a, you look at a different kind of image or you put a word with an image, all of a sudden you, you might get an unlock. And this is not the same as designing or creating the final piece. It's sort of just understanding your idea a little deeper and using more tools. So it's not the same as, you know, actually designing something, but it's just a way to make our ideas clearer to people who think in more differentiated ways.
0: All right. So um, design makes strategy more tangible. I, I must have missed your number one. Sorry. What was your tip number one?
1: Oh, number one is just remember what design is, um, like remember what, what it is. is. That, yeah, just because I think what people say, sometimes people think design is a thing that makes things pretty, or we're going to make it cool, or some people mistake design as layout, I'm gonna, they're going to lay this thing out for me. Um, and yeah. it's really not that at all. And sometimes people will confuse an art director with the designer, because there's huge overlap, obviously, there. But there are also things where, you know, they're equally biased to be better at, whereas they can do it, but maybe they're they're not the best person. So I think sometimes just remembering what that discipline is and, 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 and what they can offer you. And I just say, it because it's, it's such a broad word that there's, it, it could mean any number of things to any number of people.
0: Okay. Got it. Um, all right. What's your tip number
1: three? Oh yeah. This one might drive people crazy, but the brief is just a hypothesis. Um, You know, many creative disciplines really hate it when the brief, you know, and I'm using my air quotes, keeps changing, but it's actually part of the design process. I mean, there's this stupid joke. I love it, though, but it's a terrible joke. But, you know, how many designers does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer, of course, is why does it have to be a light bulb? You know, because that's actually the reality of what it is to be a designer. You have to give form to something, which I think, you know, in the, if I used, to, I'm not, this is not a design versus advertising conversation, but if I was to use advertising, the old glory days of advertising, so much of the output was already decided for you, right? The commercial was this long. It is in these mediums. It will be this big. This isn't a billboard. You can't choose the size of the billboard, all those kinds of things. But for in the design world, uh, Not all of those things are actually um, chosen ahead of time. You know, you've got to think all of those things and you have to think about where something might go. And I think that's a a useful component when you're working with a designer as a strategist is to understand that when you hand the work in, you're not asking them to execute this, you know, because the designers will probe, they will rethink, they will reframe that solution And they'll do it based on the information they get. And then, you know, as we call it a design process, as the processing moves along, everybody on the team will get more information. And then that opens up the opportunity to maybe push back and rethink the hypothesis of the brief. And I don't think that that should be seen as, oh, that was a terrible brief, because we should really think of the beginning part of the brief as a hypothesis, as opposed to it being written in stone. And then the next portion of the process is to prove or disprove our hypothesis. And, and you know, obviously, if you work together at the beginning, you, 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 there shouldn't be a lot of disproving. But, but, you know, I think that that's an interesting way to think uh, of that relationship, that the brief is a hypothesis
0: so there, there's obviously a lot of collaboration um, involved in in that as well because I I also do really like this idea of a, of a living brief It should never just be kind of an in, in order form, um, and and you talked before about uh, design working closely with strategy. At what point? Um, I mean, because design also works really closely with creative. Obviously, um, do you oh, yeah. do you see this as a triumvirate, or or how does it work when it's at its best?
1: Well, I mean, it works, what, it works best when you're creating, depending upon what you're creating. So your team is going to be different. So you'll be working, obviously, with strategists at a portion of, of the project. You'll be working with you know producers or uh, technologists or coders or developers. You'll be working with illustrators, artists. You'll be working with um, writers and art directors or cinematographers or any number of other people. And all of those, when I say working with, those are all collaborations because this, you know, this, this, this business that we're getting ourselves into now, brands in particular, there, there's such big things that, you know, it's very rare that somebody has the skill to do everything or to even see it all. I mean, you need somebody kind of pushing, you know, in, in the direction, obviously, but I think what, what is probably better is not to have like a committee but there are subject matter experts and there are people along the way who can help, you know, sometimes we, we talk in our in our office, sometimes we're the farmer and sometimes we're the chef. You know, sometimes our, our job is just to grow the best vegetables that somebody else will put together, which seems so weird when you're like, um, when you're used to doing always the final thing, but sometimes we don't do the final thing. Sometimes we do the assets and they'll be pushed on to others. But we always, like, and I say we, I mean anybody who'll be listening to this, including clients and whatnot, we always do the best job when we have um, the best information. And usually you get the best information when you have um, not reams and reams and reams and reams of deep data, which is what I think some people think. Uh, You get the best information when you have a very intuitive back and forward kind of workflow. And when you, instead of executing, you're always trying to solve that problem and, you know, make it better and recheck that hypothesis. And if you, if you're doing it from a place of, of trying to solve it, as opposed to like imposing your will on it, I think most really competent teams love to do that kind of work. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like committee. It feels like, like a performance almost. But I I think – sorry, but I I think collaborate – I wouldn't want that portion to be considered, oh, we should collaborate. I really think the idea of the brief is is a hypothesis. I think the value in that isn't like, oh, and we'll all just get together and work together in a big collaboration. I think the value in that is that every step along the way when we're working on something and when we get into the weeds and the details and we have to prove out what we're thinking – um, that it isn't about changing, but it's optimizing, constantly pushing back, constantly making sure that our early hypothesis before we had all the information are still a hypothesis after we really get in and start doing some of that stuff. And I think that's really the takeaway there. Um, and, you know, that doesn't have to stop after you're working with the designers. It, it, it could go all the way to media, It could go all the way to any number of other disciplines. Sorry, I didn't mean to stand on that. But-
0: no 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 no. Um okay, that's clear. Um I'm I'm curious as to your tip number
1: 4. So number 4 is it's going to feel like it's so it's one of those ones where it may feel odd to some folks and then other people will be like, "Oh yeah, I totally get that." But design is really great for creating systems. Um you know, and, and I say that most of the marketing world um the things you make are quite timely and they have like really shallow executional requirements, right? Like you're producing um, a package. You're producing um, an ad. You're, you know, an out of home. Those, those are pretty simple uh, as far as what the executional requirements of them are. But when you're working on uh, in brand systems, they can be really quite uh, strong and quite large. And why I think they're interesting is that, that when we think of society, when we think of the ills of society, we'll talk about it's a systemic problem. But when we, what a lot of problems with brands are actually systemic. They have problems with their systems. Uh, We've worked with brands in the past that have grew up on television. And then when the whole television world kind of implodes, what you notice is a lot of these brands don't have strong visual languages that can exist beyond television. Or you find out that a lot of these brands have visual languages that were created for certain, for executions but they weren't created as a language. They weren't created as a system. Uh, we, you know, I Quake, we call this, um, you know, the user interface of your business. It's a brand is the user interface of your business. A company is an abstract idea. It doesn't really exist. But the way that we sort of become the, the Cyrano de Bergerac, the, we, we give brands the tools that allow them to say and do the things that they need to say and do so that they have value and meaning to people, um, and that's those are systems and I think for for strategists specifically who often um, are are you know worrying about very specific outcomes, like they got to do a Super Bowl spot, but they're also working on really broad, wider outcomes, like this company needs to be more user centric this company needs to be um, more trustworthy, this company needs to be Uh, more appealing to a certain demographic or a certain mindset or a certain behavior. And a lot of those kinds of problems actually are going to get solved. They can get reinforced in communications and reinforced by persuasion, but they're probably going to be solved through systems because, you know, we've all had that thing where you love the ad because it's like customers uh, at such and such a company, the customer is number one and then you phone them and uh, you have to wait for 20 minutes and they tell you, that they really, your call is important to us. Now, please wait for forty-five minutes before we get to you. And you're sort of like, well, I guess our call is not that important. But you know, those are systems. Those are th- that. So I think I think the for for strategists, uh, one nice thing when they're working with designers is just remembering that um, this system mindset is inherent to a design process, and the designers can be great partners for figuring out how to systemize some of these ideas.
0: Yeah, I think that's really nice because I think um, we often forget the context within which the brands that we're, we're building or positioning are going to live. Um, I mean, part of that could be when so long ago, you know, media and and creative, uh, you know, divorced. Um, but then there's also to your point that advertising, aren't necess- like there's so many other touch points um, that advertising isn't a, a part of. So there seems to be some big kind of blind spots sometimes that we don't. Um, uh, uh, acknowledge.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think the systems are getting far better. I mean, I remember when designers would come up with these systems for ad teams to use that were complete nonsense for the advertising world would never work. Um, you know, tiny little logos. Oh, just do this beautiful ad with this eight point type. It's just it was craziness. But I think you know where we are today. It, hopefully, uh, we're, we're all have moved past that. But I do think that, that one of the interesting things on the design profession, and I'm using design very broadly here. This could be digital designers, UX designers, like very, very broadly. Um, I would say one of the things that they are really helpful for, for strategists is just this idea of figuring out how can they systemize an idea? How can they systemize a set of values? How can they systemize an approach? Um, and, and many of these systems have to be. Uh, this is going to sound so, super strange, but they're not executionally dependent, right? Um, so you have to bake in the idea of simplicity as opposed to writing a really cool headline that talks to simplicity. Do you know what I'm saying? You need to do both. But, but, but I think I, – so I would give an example. If, if you're designing a, a, a communications thing, if you only leave enough space to write 10 words – then that enforces um how many words you can use now that could be good or it could be bad, right? So for savings, it might be great, right a little savings message for explaining what kind of cancer you have, that would be really bad right so um so you know that's but that's how that's that's when you're creating systems how those systems actually they enforce a certain set of behavior that's that's what gives them value
0: yeah, yeah so it's got to make sense right away it sounds like as you say no matter what context it's in
1: yeah it's almost like a, we do, we call it the user interface cuz it makes it much easier but you know it's it when you if you use a product that's incredibly well designed and they make two or three products or you and they all kind of work the same way and they have all the same thing and then if you go to a the store the store feels the same way or the showroom feels the same way you're like wow this all just feels like it comes from the one place and You know, I think that's the ideal. So I think uh, if you're working with a designer, that is a very specific um, need that I think they're among the best people to help, you know, bring that to life for a strategy.
0: Yeah. All right. I'm going to summarize these before we round into our last one. So number one was, remember what design is. Uh, Number two was design makes strategy more tangible. Number Three is that the brief is just a hypothesis. Number four, design is really great for creating systems. What's your tip number five?
1: So number five is sort of connected to the one before, but I think it's it's worth saying is that design is really good at sort of covertly embedding values and ideas into systems uh beliefs that stuff i mean we we've we talked earlier about advertising, but you know advertising is really good at telegraphing overt messages. It's, you know, possibly it's, that's possibly its greatest um, gift. But design is really good at like embedding them in a way that you might not always know they're there, but they're there, you know? Um, like when we dig up ancient cultures, we dig up their design. That's what we dig up. All the things that that people have made. And in those things, they'll usually tell you who they'll, those people believe that they were, they'll tell you what they thought was important, what they valued, and they'll be sort of, you know, covertly or, you know, embedded into these items. Um, And it's sort of like that meeting ground where, you know, where narrative and utility get smashed together. So an example I'll give you is uh, if you look at old American cars before America went to the moon, they had like these fin tails, these rocket tails on the end of their cars. And they had embedded in their automobiles that they wanted to go to the moon before they even had a rocket to go there. But they had embedded that idea into there, you know, this idea of like how ideas can be subtly embedded into something. And I think sometimes we don't even uh, like like you probably couldn't even test. People may not have been like I don't even know if people would have overtly kind of been able to say that. Oh, yeah, that's what that is. But. But there's something in there where these ideas get put in and, you know, we see fonts from certain eras and we totally know that when it's from and what it's about, because the aesthetic of it, the way that it was put together, the amount of words, its simplicity, its complexity, how human it is or how machine it is. It looks like it was made of wood. It looks like it was done on a computer screen. All of these things embed these values and then these values end up coming back into the people who use them. And, you know, part of the reason why brands have to, over time, um, change their logos and all that, you know, one of the reasons is technology changes. So when you change the technology, you have to change um, the thing you make sometimes because it gets made a different way. So that makes sense. But part of it is because all those little subtle, you know, cues, those little bits, just the tailoring, the size, whatever, there's all this data that's embedded into that. Um, and then there just comes a time on many brands where people will say, oh, it's old or whatever. But, you know, often what they're really saying is it's out of touch or it's telegraphing the wrong set of information now. And, you know, it'll be like, oh, well, people don't like Brown, but, you know, if you look at anybody from the 1970s, all their photographs look like there was a lot of Brown. Right. Um, so it was really important. and Then all of a sudden it becomes not important. Um, and Those are, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a soft skill, but it's really one that's important. And and sometimes when we're living in the moment, it's really hard to, to maybe notice some of those cues. But when we look back at time, what we do realize is, you know, you can, you can sometimes pick an era or a time that something is from. And then when you really look at it, you can see that it isn't just, um, it it isn't just aesthetic, you know? That, that actually the way that something is done can really embed a set of values. I'll use the example as a, as a child in a church. So you're kind of told if, uh, for people who grew up in, in, in you know, going to churches, this idea that I, you know, God is watching. I went to Catholic school. You know, God is watching. Well, how did you know? Well, if you go into any small town, the church is often the tallest building. And there's a big cross at the top and God can see you. And then, if you go into like a big Catholic church, and when you walk in there, you can hear every footstep. If you go to like a, the big old ones, and you feel small. And all this design reinforces the idea that you're in a big place, a big important place, and it's ethereal. And you know, so I, I think that that's something that we don't talk a lot about because it's sometimes very hard. I think to um, uh, to quantify, but I think. Design. I mean, frankly, if, if you had an art director here, they would be probably saying the same thing about film and music and sound would, you know, do many of the same things. But I think that, you know, this idea that even in the typefaces, even in the colors that you're using, even in the spacing between letters, even in the spacing between your paragraphs, even in how many words are in your communications, even in how many steps and what colors and What influences and what cultural influences—all of those things—they all can add up to a really big idea that is actually not overtly stated anywhere, but you feel it immediately.
0: Yeah, and 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 when you talked about kind of the covert meaning and being embedded in, I wrote down right away that the FedEx logo because you, you obviously, that arrow is very famous now, but. I never saw that until someone pointed it out to me. And so sometimes I wonder, are there things that go unnoticed that you don't actually appreciate until you realize, or someone tells you, you know, I mean, I get all the subconscious cues that you're talking about in terms of font and, and, you know, type, you know, spacing and all that. Like I, I, I'm not completely ignorant against some of that, but then other things, uh, elude me. But then once I realize, I'm like, wow, that's really clever. It, yeah. Is that the intent or? <laughs> I, I
1: think some of it is obviously intentional, you know, because because you really do want to to make sure that, you know, the messaging and the feeling and the experience that fits with the brand's values is backed up by the brand's elements. So, so that stuff is completely um, on purpose. But I think the other thing is, you know, very talented people often have the amazing cultural antennae and um they they're picking up cues that that maybe many other people just never see and they may not even know themselves do you know what i mean but but they do but but it shows up in the work and i don't think this is a design thing i think this is all kinds of creative people i think that you know the world's greatest chefs you know they they would do this and the world's greatest musicians would do this and people in fashion will figure things like this. so i think that there there are there is a zeitgeist that comes to life I think what's a little different on for this, for strategists and design versus say strategists working with another discipline, design hangs around a long time. You know, firms don't do new logos every quarter when there's a new brief, um, they generally don't change the fonts. They generally won't do the whole website. They generally won't change their app all the time. They generally won't change all of their packaging and all of their cups and all of those things. So what's important here is I think that when you have ideas, um, when you have an ideology for a brand, a point of view um, that is going to last, you know, a while, and it, one that is not just narrative based, you know, one that is really it's part of the utility of the brand i think if you're a strategist you might want to talk to your design partners about how to you know take that opportunity to embed some of those strategic insights into the things that are going to last and stick around people are going to touch and people are going to use and um you know and sometimes some of this stuff is like really pragmatic like it's just like If I'm a large coffee chain and my logo has two colors and I produce, you know, hundred million cups a year, maybe if I made it one color, I would save a lot of money. (laughs) I mean, you, you mentioned FedEx. I think the FedEx, I forget how much weight not painting the airplanes saved and then how much fuel that made FedEx, just going from white planes to silver planes, you know, so some of these, some of these solutions are totally pragmatic. Um, but sometimes they can be completely um the opposite, you know they can be very, very narrative based and and they 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 can have more of a a kind of human joy to them,
0: yeah, yeah, all right. well, I, I really uh, enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for giving us kind of a peek under the hood um as it relates to design, you know, kind of as as we started, I think we talk a lot about the relationship between strategists um, and creatives. And it's nice to know that there are some kindred spirits within design um, and that in in some ways we're engineered in similar ways and, and can take advantage of each other's uh, experiences and skill sets.
1: Yeah, no, it's fun. I mean, it's as a creative person, there's nothing better than having a, a partner who is equally passionate, but has different Skills. You know, we could we could have done a kindred spirit thing with designers and art directors, and I'm sure art directors will do it with art directors and writers and editors. But when we all kind of try to work together to solve problems and then realize that, you know, there's many things that strategists bring to the table that are not part of the designer's wheelhouse either. But without that, you know, you just feel like you're decorating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's the coming together of the two. And it sounds like, you know... It, I think a continuing theme of this show has just kind of been that, that messy collaboration, that actually being a good thing, um, as opposed to kind of oh, yeah. these binary handoff points. Um, great. Well, again, appreciate you, you coming on and, and sharing this with us. Thanks very much. Great. For you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Grow Up. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, share the episode and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Next week, we'll be catching up with Tom Kenny, CSO at Ogilvy on how to win a pitch. See you then.